Good morning. Uh, are we ready? If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting to do that for three months. <laughs> for those of you who are visiting, uh, that's just how I, that's my amen. It's how it, it puts me a check into, uh, it, if you're listening, if I've got you. Uh, so, uh, man, congratulations to those seniors, and usually what we do uh, each year is we actually have the seniors stand, come up here, and we're able to gather around and lay hands on them. We believe what's most important for the seniors is not that we just recognize them. We're okay with recognizing them, but that we pray for you and understand that the most important thing in your life is Jesus, and that we will support you in any way we can and pray for you, and so that's the reasoning uh, for that. Let me do uh, just a couple of things before I get uh, to the message. Um, and some of you are wondering, uh, man, why did they put Pat Camerata's name up there? And then why they put Jesse's? And remember, we're talking to people out there. We were probably ministering to over uh, 300 people on a Sunday uh, through uh, via the, the live stream. And they were asking as we were coming back, are you still going to live stream? And we are. And so some people don't know who we are, and that's why we put, you may know, but they say, well, who's that guy? And uh, so it just kind of lets them know. And I really want to encourage you on the, uh, uh, the Apostles of Hope. I want to reiterate that, that you start bringing that. And if you have those things, remember the pop tops, it's what's most important because some of these people are homeless, and we want to make sure that they're able to get uh, into that food to be able to eat it. And so if you want to keep on doing that, our goal is to do about 200 boxes. And also during that time, during this time, um, if you feel comfortable and you go, hey, we'll help put together some boxes because our hope was to put together on our, our anniversary day and put all of them together, but we couldn't do that. So now we got to put boxes together and the items are there. And so if you go, hey, my family uh, would love to come and spend an hour or so just putting together boxes, then uh, let me know. Let us know as a church, and we can help you with that. I think the best days are going to be Monday and Tuesdays and Wednesdays that we would put those together. Uh, uh, so we're here. There's somebody here, and there's somebody here on Thursdays, but let's just stick to Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Wow, I almost lost my hair. And that's uh, from about 9 o'clock until 4. So, um, and then I know that there are some of you who are elders and deacons and who have jobs here that have keys. You're more than welcome to uh, come and, and, and do that, but just let us know when you're coming. A couple other things. If you've not picked up your Abide in Christ, we have plenty. And let me tell you, uh, uh, we have plenty also. If you go, I want one for my mother, I want one for my dad or for my uncle, I want to mail one. We have some back there on that little desk back there. It's a great, it's a 30-day devotional. How many of you have enjoyed that so far or finished it up? It's, it's a good devotional. It's a classic written years and years ago. It's in the 1800s, and it's been rewritten, revised. And then also where the coffee items used to be, all the milk and the sugar, uh, right there are a bunch. So feel free and go, well, I, want it th I want four. Well, mail three off and, and take one for yourself. So I want to encourage you to do that. Also, I want to remind those of you until we run out, for those of you who know people are struggling with anxiety, uh, we have these as well. They're on the top shelf until we run out and uh, just kind of helps with anxiety. And then the purple book. The purple book is how to get you started. It's just a basic book that helps you know about Christianity, how it kind of all began, uh, where our history comes from. And it, it's a great little uh, lesson book that you could probably do for most of 
you could do two lessons a day, and it just gets you biblically going with what's going on uh, in the Bible. And then the last thing, some of you are going, man, I don't spend that much time with, uh, with, um, the, um, with the Lord. I want to learn, learn to it. These are, this is a great seven minutes. I know you're going, seven minutes, but seven minutes is a lot of time for some people. You know, seven minutes with God and how to start a daily devotional. Those are back there on that, on that as well. Our goal is that you would be people of the word because we know that this year uh, what's our thing it's a year of the word that we would read it that we would open it we would read it we would trust it and we would obey it or apply it to our lives so well we're going through exodus and so uh as we're going through this i hope that y'all are reading through exodus many of you know about the stories through exodus and uh, what i want to encourage you to do is understand that Exodus is a great picture of what Christ did for us on the cross. Exodus helps us learn from the very beginning about how God works. We learned that last week. And remember, last week we learned, if you weren't here, we learned that uh, before we read Exodus, we need to be reminded of this. Every time you start reading it, uh, write this down in the column somewhere, put it on a card and put it in there and always read it. And then you'll look for these things. And we would look for Exodus reminds me that God is my promise keeper, because remember that God was keeping his promise. And we'll look at those verses in just a few minutes of saying, hey, listen, your people are going to be as many as the stars are going to be as, uh, more than the grains of sand. And I'm, he's a promise. keeper. kept that promise. He's our champion. And we'll look for times where God was the champion for the Israelites. And then we'll look at he's our deliverer. We see over and over, he's our deliverer. Remember, anything in the Old Testament, you have to read it uh, from a context of the historical, where they were histor uh, historically, but also you have to read it for how can we use that today? What are the same messages that they learned that we can apply to our lives? And I can apply that. He's a promise keeper to me. So when he says, uh, nothing shall take you out of my hand, then that means I, sh I can't lose my salvation if I've truly accepted who Christ is. That's a promise. I know he's my champion. If I just be faithful to uh, doing the thing he, he uh, has asked me to do, he's my deliverer. And he'll protect and provide and continue to be my moral compass through life. The more compass we get for this part is that's when the Ten Commandments came in and the more compass was, hey, listen, don't kill. How about that? Uh, let's, let's not steal. Hey, let's not covet other people's stuff or other people's uh, wives or husbands. Let's not do those things. And so it gives us a moral compass. And then when Christ came, actually the moral compass actually got bigger. Uh, it got thicker. It, it, it got heavier. Because now you're asked as a moral compass to forgive, to uh, uh, to uh, be patient, to be kind. Uh, so those are those moral compasses things and that he is worthy of worship. And this is because we see, we're going to look that in Exodus, this is where he builds a temple and says, hey, listen, when you see the cloud form, that's where I am. And it's all about me. That's pretty much what God was saying. He's saying God is selfish. And it's like one writer said, well, when you build your own universe and your world, then you can be selfish because he did all this and he deserves our praise and worship for everything that we have. So I want to read through uh, uh, these verses in Exodus and uh, you can follow along. Hey, through the scripture, Barbara, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to, to do that. I'm going to read straight from here, okay? It says, now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, came each one with his household, Reuben and Simeon, Levi and Judah and Ishkar and Zublam and uh, Benjamin and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher. Now, don't lose it because we start reading names and then we go, oh, okay, that's boring. But here's what he's telling us. Look, all the persons who came from the uh, loins of uh, Jacob were 70 in number.
but Joseph was already in Egypt. Remember, we know, I told you to go back and read, that Joseph was already in Egypt. And so we know at this point, they started listing these people, and they didn't list all their family members, but there were only 70 people that went into the land of Egypt. It says, all, it says Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. Verse 7. But the sons of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly. I want you to pay attention to those words. They multiplied. They became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. You see, you see, when we're reading that, that's why I want you to use these words. Now we found out that God is a what? He's a promise keeper. It's beginning to happen. He took 70 people and he said over 400 years between the time that Genesis that we know was written and the time that they made the Exodus, listen, or not the time that it was written, but between Genesis and Exodus, that timing was anywhere from three to 400 years. So when you say, man, that, that little statement that you make before you read, you need to read it every time and, and look for something, if you're going to be people of the word, that says, where does it show me that God is a promise keeper? These verses show that. It said, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Man, one verse uh, that was in there. That's a mightily important verse that we're going to look at. They did not know. He, why, would, why would that be important? 400 years, of course he didn't know uh, Joseph. He forgot it. History was not followed. Uh, and then verse 9, he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Oh, there's a point right there. And as I was reading it, uh, I'll show you that. It's something that God deals with all the time with his people. It says, come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply in the event of war, and they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. Incredible verses. And really, honestly, they said, let's deal wisely with them, and they actually did not deal very wisely with the people. Anytime you oppress people, you are not dealing wisely. Anytime you raise your voice and put on the authority and say, you will listen to me, honestly, that is terrible, terrible leadership. You're not dealing with people wisely. You're just making yourself out to be somebody that's only going to get that much work out of people instead of this much. When they trust you, it'll go a long way. It wasn't dealing wisely. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities in Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, now remember this, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. You know? It's like you spray for roaches because you saw two, and the next day there's seven. What's up with that, you know? Uh, uh, it says, uh, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. They were in dread. And the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. They said, listen, just keep on working, keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, and do what we tell you to do. We're dealing wisely with you. And the whole time, God, God knows what's going on, and he's still a promise keeper. And he's a deliverer. Look at this. And they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field and all the labors which they rigorously imposed on them. And then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives who these midwives would, would birth these children and take care of these children. It says, uh, and one of who was named uh, Shifa and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and to see them upon the birth stool, 
says, uh, and some people are going, wow, there's a birth stool? That was so uncomfortable. It was, a, it was actually a way that they would sit in this, and it would be a stool to us, and they would birth the kid almost like they were standing up. That's the way they used to do it. It says this, uh, and he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. Can you imagine? Asking these two midwives and saying, listen, you just do what I tell you, and the minute they're born, you kill them. It's a terrible thing to do. He said, and you should put them to death. But if it is a daughter, well, let them live. But the midwives feared God. Now, the thing about these midwives and theologians, which I don't really, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, is they go, were these Hebrew midwives? Were these, you know, who were these? Were these Israelites? I, how, how are we going to deal with, uh, with these two women? But somehow, they had heard about God, and they had feared Jehovah God. They had feared him. They said, man, this God is doing incredible things. And so they had this fear in him. It says this. Uh, so the, uh, the king called him. Uh, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them. But let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, well, why have you done these things? And let the boys live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as, as the Egyptian women, but they are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwife can get to them. Well, you know what that was? It's a big, fat lie. You're going, is lying in the Bible? Well, yeah, it's right there. Even those who fear God lie. There's a message just right there. Even those who believe in God, but they were doing this because they were righteous, and they wanted, uh, 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 Shephar's uh, name means fair one, a fair one. And pua means uh, uh, justice. Isn't that funny? No, that's God going. That's why they're going to be named because one day I'm going to need them. If they fear me, they're going to follow me and they're going, they're going to know that they're going to do the fair thing. They're going to do the right thing and they're going to bring justice to this point and they're not going to kill the children. Listen to this. It says, so, um, so, so, God, uh, so God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Now, for a midwife, having children, you would see a lot of children birth, but you're not, you wouldn't necessarily have a lot of children. And what this means, that, he, that, that God said, hey, listen, because you were just, justice and you, were, you believed in justice and you were fair, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. Not only will you birth children, but I'm going I'm to establish your households. And that's not just with goods and with things that they need. What he's saying was, you're going to have children, your children's children are going to have children, and your children are going to be great. And, and, and what he's saying also, which I believe this, is that you're going, to also have, you're going to also have boys who are going to establish your household. So even if, even if they married a guy that could only produce girls, because it's, it's, it's on our back, guys, you know, it, that could produce girls, God's going to go, you may marry that person, but I'm going to produce some boys out of this because I have my plan. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Man, it's amazing. First chapter, I, I thought, well, I'd go over the first chapter as I was getting ready for it about three or four weeks ago, and I thought, oh, man, I'll have to, that'll go quick. And then the more I studied it, the more I looked at it. And then Pharaoh commanded all the people, saying, every son who is born, uh, who born, you are to cast him into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. So what do we learn through this? What do I want you to walk away with? What is something that we can, watch this, now we've read it, Right? Uh, uh, and now that we're, we're going to uh, look at it and, and take a look at what's happening and then we're going to trust it 
We're going to obey it, and we're going to apply it to our lives. Well, here are the things that I see that are volley important as we look at these scriptures very quickly. Number one is this. God will complete his plans. Everybody look right here. It's called sovereignty. It's, it's that God will complete his plan. His greatest plan is to, bring, is to bring his people back into a relationship with him. It is his plan that he would deliver them. It is his plan, just like us. Because of everything that we're reading, we are here today because it's God's plan, right? Some of you are in the room going, well, I just decided to come back, and I don't know why I'm here. Well, let me tell you why you're here. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, I believe in a God that numbers numbers our days, and you are here because God put you here. No, I'm not. I woke up and got here by myself. You just keep on believing that. You are here because God put you here, and you need to hear this message today. God, listen, God will complete his plan. We saw that in the first verse. Remember, we looked at um, in Genesis 15, 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land uh, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. He's a promise keeper. He said, this is going to happen. And you're going, wow, why would God give you that bad news? Because behind every bad news, if you look to the Lord, there's something what? Good. Why is that man, Jesus, why is that man the way he is? Is it because of his father, his grandfather? And he said what? It's not, it's not either. It's so that God's glory will be revealed. Even bad things that happen, sometimes God says, I'm going to allow this, and I'm good, but I've got a plan, and I will bring it to completion. This is, uh, and it says in uh, Genesis 15, 14, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Now, the wealth, well, you look at that and go, well, the wealth is what? Now, this is where a lot of people say, it's all this stuff. It's money. It's not. They will come away. Remember, it's that establishing of God's purpose. They will have great wealth. They will be provided for. They will be taken care of. They will have great wealth. They will have homes. They will have families. They will be provided for. And then it also says in Genesis 22, I will certainly bless you and I'll multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities and their enemies, right? So you need to understand that God had promised all these things in the back. Nobody look right here. If you don't know the word of God and what he's promised you and I as a believer, then this first point will mean absolutely nothing to you. But if you trust in God, if you want God to give you clarity with the decisions you make, with the attitudes you need to break, with the forgiveness you need to offer, offer, then know this. You follow God and his plans will come to pass. Been through a divorce? You think I'll never do it again? I can't do this? If God wants you to do that and you pursue him, you will find love again. You will find somebody that is especially for you and God will heal you. You with me? And I want you to know God's plan will come about. The second thing I want you to see that I learned as I was reading it is that God, God's goodness is consistent, but it's forgotten. See, that's what we do, isn't it? We forget how consistent God is because we forget in our history what he's done for us. And then all of a sudden, something comes along and we get nervous and we have, we have, we have anxiety Because we've forgotten that God is good, he's consistent, but we've forgotten that. We've forgotten he helped you financially years ago, and you're worried now he's not going to help you. Well, what is that? 
And you say, well, where do you get that point? It's this, it's this verse right here. My father made me swear, saying, behold, I'm about to die in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, what I want you to do is that's Joseph saying, hey, king of Pharaoh, uh, or king of Egypt, I, I need to go bury my daddy. And that Pharaoh said, go. He says, now, therefore, please let me go up to bury my father. Then I'll return. And here's what Pharaoh said. Pharaoh said, you go up and you bury your father as he has made you swear. In other words, he said, listen, I don't know anything about all your dad, but your dad told you to swear. You be good to your dad and you go home and bury him and you can come back. Look at this. But it didn't last. There was a new king that arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And when I read that verse, that's the first verse that shined out at me and said, that king, it was not passed down over all the years of goodness. Everybody look at me now. All those hundreds of years, somehow, people had forgotten about this Pharaoh in Egypt who had a good relationship, right, with the people. And that new Pharaoh said, I don't know about that. I'm not going to honor that. Listen, God is still good, but somehow, Pharaoh, all those years of history behind him, it was forgotten. And you know, you know, <laughs> I, I was in a church run time, and it's not, it's not something, it's just really interesting. I, I watched it grow from about, when I got there, to about 1,400 to close to 3,000. God was blessing. We didn't have an outreach plan. It's one of the reasons we don't have an outreach night here. Because what I saw is that you don't have to go out every Monday night if your people are doing the work and killing people to come to church and inviting them and building relationships. And I, I'll never forget, uh, we had just, the Lord had blessed us, and and then the pastor, you know, just started making mistakes. His ego got in the way. And there were people just leaving by droves. And I remember sitting down with about three elderly people. When I say elderly people, who were in their 60s and 70s who had been there from the birth of that church. And, and they had, uh, sorry about that, uh, Craig, you're elderly. It doesn't matter. You're elderly. You are, that's why we call you all elders, okay? Listen, you're old, all right? And I'm going to be there and everybody else is. All right? Uh, look, look, no, I'm just kidding. And I'm going to be old too. Uh, but here's the thing. I told those people who were mad at him, and they go, all these years. And, and listen, all this happened in about four months. And some people had been there 15 and 20 years. And I looked at him, I said, don't let four months of a bad time take away the 15 to 18 years that you, we walked in goodness. Does that make sense? And that's what we do. We think this is terrible. People leave churches because something happened and it was about three or four months happening that they've forgotten that all those years before God had blessed. If there's anything we can learn from this, is that God's goodness is consistent, but it will be forgotten. Don't you forget where God brought you. And you see, uh, being a pastor, I look at faces, and, and here's what, I, I know you haven't, but just in case you ever want to forget and walk away from the church, or just kind of not trust anymore, I know what some of you have been through. Good for you, but be, be ready. God is good. He's consistent. But don't forget that when you go through your next trial. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. And you may be going through it right now, and maybe that's why you need this word. All right? The next thing is, uh, it says, the third thing that I know is that God 
always battles our self-preservation. We are people of self-preservation. Now, come on. This is where you're going to have to turn your halo down and really look at yourself and go, maybe not scream it and go, yeah, that's me. But inside go, yeah, that's me. When you're waiting in line with your kids and you want the red and blue canoe because that's what your kids want. And when they're open, you walk up to the red and blue canoe and you claim it. You know what that is? That's self-preservation. I got to save for me and I got to save for my kids. It's not bad, but it can become bad. Does that make sense? And God will always deal, he always battles our self-preservation. You say, where do you get that? It's right here, look. It says, uh, now a new king arose over Egypt, we knew that, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us uh, deal wisely with them, or else, what's going to happen? Or else they'll multiply. And in the event of war, well, they will also uh, join themselves to those who what? Who are pretty much against us. And, And they'll depart. In other words, you know what that is? That's self-preservation. Look, let me tell you about self-preservation. Self-preservation can lead to selfish decisions that will eventually have a negative effect on your life and can lead to the adverse consequences in the lives of others. When you begin to step into self-preservation, you've got to be very, very careful. It's good to take care of your family, right? It's good to get the red canoe because your kids want it. But if they don't get it, guess what? They're going to be okay. If the little kid in the wheelchair comes up and says, I want the red one, don't, that we get, get out of self-preservation. You got kids that walk, and you give the red canoe away. But you know, you know me, now some of you are thinking about the times that you self-preserve. Go get in line, hurry. Go get in front, hurry. That's for us. God will always, always handle our self-preservation attitude. We got to preserve ourselves. And God says you have to preserve the gospel. That's what I'm here to preserve. I don't, and I don't say this boastfully. I don't, I don't want my name on this church. I don't want it on a sign. It's nowhere. Because I'm not trying to preserve Pat Camerata. Because when I'm asked to leave, I, what I want to preserve is the gospel and the work of Carpenter's Way that is all about Christ. I care less about me. That's why I always say this. I remind you every now and then, I don't want my picture down a hallway. I don't want buildings named uh, about anybody. Somebody say, well, I'll give you a million dollars if you'll build a building. I would rather say, listen, I'm not going to guarantee your name's going on that building because the building's not about you and it's not about, it's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I I do, you go, well, you're down in every church. No, I think we just got lost in self-preservation. My name needs to live on. It's going to live on that building. It's not bad, but I honestly don't want to, I don't want a building to live on. Because you know what? You may be 100 years old, die, and your name's on that building. And then 100 years later, that building's going to be torn down. Who's going to remember you? Self-preservation. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. And these are things when you touch on with people, they go, well, well, we'll stop and think about why you preserve that. You know who's going to preserve uh, me? Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for me on a cross. Amen? And that's what it is. Self-preservation is a, 
It can lead us to bad decision. And I love this. It says, woven through the ugly confusion of daily struggles with selfishness, sin, and dealing with life in general is this beautiful sovereignty of God that we cannot always see. Yeah. Woven through our life. Just remember, you can't see everything. Self-preservation. Judas, you know why he, 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 he died the way he did? Self-preservation. Going to get a little money. You know what? The disciples ran for their lives. You know where they ran for their lives? Self-preservation. Peter denied Christ. You know why he denied Christ? Self-preservation. He thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to be crucified himself. And then it took them a while to learn, wow, it's bigger than me. And the next thing I want us to learn is this. God's people will have their place. I really almost want to say in history, but I didn't have room. Uh, God's people have their place. Guys, here's what you understand. God's people will have their place in history. If you're sitting here going, oh, I'm so worried about Christianity when I'm gone. Things are changing. God will have his place in this world. God will have his place in the United States. God will have his place, right? Remember I always tell you people, God has left America, and I keep on telling you, if you're a believer in Christ, you can always tell people, no, he hadn't, because I'm still here. Christ is with me, so he has not left America. Take your yard sign up. Because Christ has not left America. That sign, in my opinion, and I may be stepping on toes, that sign is a sign of hopelessness. But God's, look at this, God's people will have their place because God made this place. If you're with me, say, oh yeah. Now, you may not agree with me, but I just want you to know, God's, God, God will have his place in history. Look, it says this, it says, so they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh's stored cities in Pithom and Ramses. Man, look, they, look what happened. Look at this. It says, uh, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. You ever, you ever notice that um, children can see their parents as dread? You know that? Uh, yeah, where they look at you and go, That's, that, you know what dread is? They dread you when they roll their eyes. My little grandson, Ephraim, who's two, I'm not lying to you. Last week, Emily and I were sitting on the couch, and I said, Ephraim, no. He was climbing on the coffee table. And his eyes went. And Emily said, did you see that? And I said, I did. And she said, what happened? I said, he rolled his eyes. He dreaded that we were trying to protect him. He dreaded it. Listen, there is a point that in America and all over the world, people are going to dread Christians, and they can just stink and get over it. How's that for truth? I'm a believer in Christ. I believe this. I have my moral, my moral, uh, my moral uh, compass is how God makes it to be, and I want you to know, man, people are going to be in dread of Christians because they know that... Uh, Something else is going to happen. That's why uh, children dread their kids. You want to say that one more time? Go ahead. One more time. And they go, I don't believe you. Lose your phone. They dread you. And then they get mad and they say one more thing, right? Yeah. Well, just like in America, right? All the riots that are going on, right? All the COVID. And you go, you know, what's all this about? Well, I would tell you, if there's a Christians out there that is burning things, I would say, man, you're way out of line. No. Ready? 
if all these things that are happening that are bad, okay, but here's what they're going to dread. People in America and all over the world dread the truth because they want to believe what they want to believe, right? Do I dread COVID? No. Am I smart and wise? Yes, I wash my hands. I do all that. That's good. Be wise. But you know who numbers my days? That's right. Because I've read the word, right? Uh, and uh, I trust the word. I opened it. I read it. I trust it. And now I'm applying it in these times. Listen, Christians will always be a dread in America. And then to Christians, people who claim to be Christians and stand on street corners and... Um, do terrible things to other people and say that, that, that God hates them. I dread those people. I dread those Christians if they are Christians. But Christianity, look at, look at me, Christianity will always be a dread in America. Christianity will always be dreaded by people. It's just the way that it is. Do, do you understand that? So don't get yourself riled up because something happens and you're going, people ought to act better. Christians ought to act better. They should. I dread that in Christianity, but I'm telling you something, America dreads anything, a lot of America dreads anything that is made of truth, anything that has God attached to it. But I'm telling you, ready for this? We are not dying. I want you to know this. Here's what I learned through this. going to go quickly. Uh, multiplied in the Hebrew means to become great. Spread out actually means to break through. Isn't that Interesting. They spread out. They were to break through whatever was going on in their life. And then the dread is to cause dread to come upon. Now, when we look at this, here's what I want you to learn very quickly under this. Christians will be afflicted. It's okay. We're going to be called idiots on, on TV if we state that we believe there's a God in heaven who's Jehovah and he formed this world and he made Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? And Christ died. And people are going to go, you're crazy. All right? And it's funny, I was talking to uh, uh, somebody who, didn't, who believed in er evolution, and uh, uh, he, he said, so I, I guess you believe that God just made everybody. I said, buddy, the only difference between you and me is that you believe some slug crawled out of the ocean and over, over time formed itself. I said, it's no different than what I believe. I believe we're made from dust. But the difference that we have is that I know that God made us from dust. You just believe it just happened. You know, you're not, people aren't always going to agree with you. And here's the things. We'll always be afflicted by people who think our, our thoughts are crazy, our beliefs are dumb. Just get over that. Second thing is, the Christians will be multiplied. Listen. Um, and I have some quotes up there, but it's too small for me to read to remind me. Christianity in 2050, if I can get these numbers right, in 2050, Christianity will actually jump uh, by millions. Watch this. But yet the church, they say, is in decline. Right? Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. But watch this. It's the fastest growing religion. Here's why they project it to to grow exponentially, but not surpass Christianity by, by those who claim to be Christians by the year 2050. The only reason they're going to increase in number is because Islam, those who practice Islam, are having more children than those who practice Christianity. Does that make sense? And so when you read a quote and go, oh, it's bad, it's not bad. Honestly, 
reading this, I'll go, man, I need to tell everybody to start having kids. All right? We need to start having kids. The ism, uh, ism is coming up in Christianity. It's going to, but it still doesn't surpass us. And in other words, God's going, you won't surpass us. You have as many kids as you want. I can make kids appear like that. I can put on people's heart to adopt children like that. And then they become Christians. God, we will be multiplied. See, yeah, isms come out. Oh, isms going to take over. It's because they're having kids. You, want, you get worried about it and start having some, popping some kids out. But we're still not going to be beaten. You want to beat the number one selling book? You won't beat it. It's still the Bible. People need hope. Watch this. Third, or the fourth thing under this is Christians will be barrier breakers. We will break the barriers. Listen, we broke the barrier when they said shut down churches, and they didn't force us. They just said, here's safety, and now live streaming. is. I never saw so many devotionals. I didn't do my devotionals because there were so many out there. I went, yeah, I'm going to do them after. Little Debbie's with Pastor Pat's going to come after COVID because everybody's going to stop sharing their devotionals afterward. We were meeting more people. Our church on a regular basis runs about 240 to 260. But yeah, we, we were meeting uh, people that well over the 300 mark. And we were only meeting people's needs in grows. But then all of a sudden, mid-county area, all of a sudden, what? Now people are listening to us in San Antonio and Dallas and Oklahoma. Oh, wow. You know, God will not be outdone. You hear me? And he will not be outdone in your school. Just about the time you think there's no Christian school teachers, he's going to throw three more in, and you know what's going to be bad? Some of you are going to go, I'm so glad they're here, and they are so in love with Jesus, they're going to challenge you. And you're going to go, wow, I'm terrible. And I would say, no, you're not terrible. You're just lagging behind. Catch up. Love your Lord with all your heart. We break barriers. And the last thing is, Christians will be a source of dread for nonbelievers. They, they're always going to dislike us. These are the sub-points. Now let me finish very quickly with the other points. This, God's people will have their place. And then five, God will honor right decisions. We see that with the two ladies. And I won't read it, but I'll remember you about the, the midwives that, that came in. And he said he honored them. God will honor your good choices. Graduates, you think it was tough? You better know what you believe. Because when you get out there, you're going to be told some of the biggest lies on professors who dread the fact that you even believe in Christ. And you don't be arrogant. You don't yell. You don't argue. You are not born to be God's apologist unless he tells you specifically to, uh, uh, to fight for him. But it's like Billy Graham once said. They said, how come you don't fight for God? How come you don't, you don't get out there and fight for God? And he said, uh, I don't need to fight for a lion. He can protect himself. But beware that that's going to happen. And that's what I wanted you to see, that they established a household. He, he uh, took care of that, uh, of those right decisions. So in closing, I want you to understand as you walk out today, as you begin to read Exodus, Exodus chapter 1. Chapter 1, you see what was in there? And we read this scripture so quick, and we don't sit down and pay attention to those little bitty things that are in there. But I want you to know, we will be in dread. We are multiplying. God will have his place. Listen, he is good, and he's consistent, but it's us that forget that, just like the pharaohs did over those three or 400 years. So I want to encourage you, as you read through Exodus, and remember, as you read through it, and I'm going to leave this up there in, in closing. You snap a picture of it. I'd encourage you to write it at the beginning of Exodus on the bottom of the page somewhere and really highlight these words that he's my promise keeper, champion, 
deliverer, protect, protector, provider. He's my moral compass, and he is worthy of my worship. And the more that you see those things, the more that you'll realize as you read through Exodus, he answers all those questions. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. All right. Some of you are going, it's so funny to watch y'all. Uh, some of you are sitting there going, man, I liked it better when I was in my pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad you're here because I've been talking to an empty room. I've had three or four guys back there, but they don't listen. You know, well, I'm going <laughs> to pray over you.